pop to your feet and welcome Brian as he comes up. Well, good morning. Hi, I'm Jennifer. If you don't know who I am, I've met a lot of you and I've been so blessed to meet you guys. Um, but just first of all, I just really hear the Lord saying this morning um, that he's a pursuing God. I don't know why. Um, I just keep hearing him saying he's a pursuing God, that no matter where you are right now, if you have um, loved ones that are not with the Lord right now, I just hear him saying, if, you, if you're disheartened, he's a pursuing God. So grab a hold of that this morning. And I just, I really, I heard it during worship and I told Brian, he's like, are you hearing anything? I said, he's just telling me that he's relentless in that pursuit. So no matter how despair you feel, I just hear him saying, I am pursuing right now. So I just, uh, I just wanted to release that and take hold of it. If you have those loved ones, um, or even if it's ministering to you right now, like, hey, I'm in a place where I, you know, need to hear God, he's pursuing. So open your heart and he's there. So I just wanted to release that, but... Um, I just want to thank you guys for being Zion. Um, like uh, Sean shared, we've been coming for a little over a year now, and you guys have just blessed us. And I can't even express enough how blessed we've been. Um, God reminded me this week that I had a dream about two months ago, and in the dream, uh, um, we were all, like, everyone from Zion was bringing gifts. And we were bringing them to the sanctuary, and we didn't know who they were for, but we would lay them on the seats, and we would lay them on the seats, again, not knowing who they were for, but we knew that the person who needed it would pick it up. And what was really great about that and what you guys have done for us is I've picked up a lot of those gifts. And you might be saying, well, what gifts do I have? And if the Holy Spirit is in your heart, you bring a gift everywhere you go. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? So um, I've picked up a lot of those gifts. And don't minimize the small things you know, don't minimize the, the smile, the hug, the encouraging word, because it's been life to us, and I want to thank you guys for that. So. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I, 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 of course, I echo every bit of what she just said. Um, we have been just absolutely loving uh, being here with you all, being here at Zion, and uh, I just absolutely want to take... A moment, and uh, just from the bottom of our hearts, to uh, to thank Pastor Jim and Mary. You guys have just been absolutely phenomenal, and we are just so thankful for you guys. So, um, just of course for you know having the uh, being given the opportunity to share this morning is is pretty outstanding to say the least. So thank you. I'm absolutely completely humbled. Uh, by that, and uh, and that you guys would you know have open ears and listening, and it it blesses me. So thank you so very very much. Um, as we get ready to jump in, I I want to just put this out there, and this is about Jesus. It's it's not about me or about anything that that we're doing. If during this morning, during the rest of this morning, um, how many of you know the Holy Spirit? He's here, right? We don't we don't have to call him and hey, are, are you coming? Planning on showing up? He's here. Um, and what the word says that where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. Freedom comes in a lot of different manifestations, right? One of those manifestations of freedom is that aspect of healing. 
And I want to let you know that this morning it is absolutely, completely legal for you to get healed this morning and nobody laid hands on you. So in the midst of the service this morning, as, as we're just kind of going on and sharing the word and digging into to what I believe the Lord has for us today, if you notice the Holy Spirit starts doing something in you, and you, can, you begin to you feel this manifestation, or you know Holy Spirit is doing something on the inside of you in that place of healing, what I want you to do is just, you don't have to say anything, just start waving. Just, hey, yeah, something's going on. Some, there's, Holy Spirit's doing something right now. Just let us know, because what I want to do with that is I want to call attention to it, because what happens is it begins to create a cascade. Because when we become aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing, we all of a sudden begin to open that door a little wider, and a little wider, and a little wider, so that we can get to the place where we're like, okay, just do whatever you got to do. Just do it in me. But we, sometimes we don't know. And I want to put that out there. So if he starts doing something in you, and, and as we were in worship this morning, and as I was kind of preparing... I really believe and felt the Lord saying that there are things that are going to be happening in the physical body to, to different ones today. So is that okay? Yeah. All right. Well, why don't you join me? Uh, I have opened the word to John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 37. So John 7, 37, and that should be page 871 for you. Isn't that funny? But in John 7:37, I, I, I come across this, this, this phrase that Jesus says. And we know the story. Um, uh, you know, I, I've got a lot of scriptures that I'm going to try to go through this morning. And what I'm going to do my level best to do is not take too long in one section. One of the things I absolutely just love to do is find a verse and camp out. I love to tear it apart to just see every bit of it, the nuance, the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs, every piece of it. I just love to just roll up my sleeves and get my hands in it. But that's not always enjoyable for everybody else. <laughs> so I'm going to try to just sort of move through. You know the scripture, right? We've seen this before. We've talked about it before. John 37. Now, on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, you know, I'll just insert this here. It's, it's amazing to speak to thirsty people. Have you ever had to, to deal with anybody or spoken in a situation, been in a, in a scenario where the people or the person you've been dealing with, they're just, they're just not getting you. They're just not with you. And it's just such a struggle and it's a fight and you're having to push and make something happen. And it's just, it, it's, it's usually never good. But I can, you know, this morning I'm, I'm just, I'm excited because there's such thirst. There's such thirst in the atmosphere. You know, when we're in worship and, and it's just, you, people are just going after Jesus and it's just like, God, there's such thirst in this room. And I'm telling you, he says here, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. <laughs> Isn't that just, that blows my mind. Because it's so completely, profoundly simple. Right? 
Are you thirsty? What is the natural response to being thirsty? You drink. So far, so good, right? I mean, this isn't, it's not tripping anybody up, right? If you're thirsty, the natural response is to drink. There's nothing significant. There's nothing extraordinary about that. There's nothing earth-shattering here. There's, there's just nothing unusual. If you're thirsty, you drink. Everybody with me so far? Okay. In, you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Kings chapter 5, so we're going back into the Old Testament now. With uh, How many of you remember Elisha the prophet? And um, Elisha, you know, he, he stepped into his ministry now um, in Israel, and um, Elijah had, had gone up uh, with the Lord. And he's in this place now, and, and we find the story that Naaman the Syrian, everybody remembers Naaman the Syrian, the, the, the big general, right? Um, pretty profound guy. I mean, he's, he's kind of got it all together. He's the general of the Syrian army, and they're kind of laying waste to anything and everything where they go. Uh, so this guy's, you know, he's a, he's a pretty big dude. One problem is, though, he's, he's got leprosy. And in their exploits of you know, having raided some different areas, they captured, uh, in, in some of the people, some of their prisoners, they captured this little uh, Israeli girl, this little girl. And she's in the household of Naaman, and, uh, and she sees the struggle. She sees what, he's, sees what he's dealing with. And she says, oh, master, if only you could get to the man of God in Israel, because he could heal you. The God of Israel could heal you through this man. Now, he's been at the absolute end of his rope, right? Because we all have read enough in Scripture that leprosy is, is you know, whether it's Hansen's disease that we know it today, where there's, you know, pieces of, of the body that are, that are getting infected, and, and you know the story there, or if it's some other type of illness or sickness, it was bad news, whatever it is, Right? This guy had been dealing with it apparently for such a long time that he decides, I'm going to Israel. I'm going to go and find this guy so that I can be healed. But in order to do that, what he does is he takes in his chariot and in his wagon, this guy gets the equivalent of today about $1 million worth of reward that he is going to give in thanks for being healed. Obviously, he's coming with an intent that something big is going to happen, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, even today, a million dollars is pretty substantial, right? So somebody's going to bring a million dollars. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of dough. But this is several thousand years ago, a million dollars, right? I remember when I was first learning how to drive, and gas was like 79 cents a gallon. Some of you were like, 79 cents? Shoot, I remember when gas was 39 cents. And then some of you were like, 39 cents what? We didn't put gas in the horse. <laughs> but you've got down, you know, the money and the way inflation changed and the amounts and and. All of these things back in this time, a million dollars was like one million dollars. It was huge. So he's got something big on his mind that is going to happen. Something he is ready for an outrageous act to absolutely change his life. So far, so good? 
Remember, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So he goes, uh, he, he shows up at, at the king, and he says, you know, I have a letter here from my king that I'm supposed to come to Israel, and I'm supposed to be healed of leprosy. And the Israeli king, he's like, oh, this is how it's going to go. <laughs> I want to pick a fight. How am I supposed to heal this guy? He's got leprosy. Who heals leprosy? I mean, come on. It's not like he's got a cold. He's got leprosy. He's just trying to start a war. That's what this is all about. Tears his robes. He's all mad, right? Because what's he going to do with leprosy? Elisha the prophet, here's the story. He says, King, I, I've heard that you've, you've torn your royal robes. What's, what's going on? Well, the Syrian commander, he's come. They want to start a war. They want to fight because, I, you know, we're supposed to heal this leprosy. He goes, I, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. So they, Elisha goes back to his house. They send Naaman to Elisha's house. Naaman, right, million dollars in his wagon, ready to just pay it out. He's super excited to just this outrageous moment, this outrageous act. He's the big, big dude of Syria. Here he comes. And he gets to Elisha's house. His servant goes up to the door. You know, it is Naaman, the Syrian, who has come, blah, 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 blah. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. Elisha's in his house. He's eating a sandwich. And he sends word to the door. Uh, here's what I need you to do. Go tell your master that he needs to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times, and he'll be good. Thank you. Have a good day. And... Um, the servant goes back to Naaman, and he says, Hey, master, this is what the prophet says. Go back to the river Jordan. Dip seven times in the river, and you'll come up completely cleansed. Naaman says, Are you kidding me? What kind of joke? This, these people think I'm a fool. Aha, starts rattling the sabers, right? They're trying to start a war. I can't believe the indignity that he wouldn't even come out and talk to me. Doesn't he know who I am? All that stuff. Well, the sad part is, is it took Naaman's servant. He says, you know, master, just you know, forgive, forgive my indecency here, sir. Um, if the, if, if the prophet of the Lord had told you to do something really profound, wouldn't you have done it? I mean, you've got a wagon loaded down with a million dollars full of stuff, gold and silver and all these changes of fancy clothes to give for this outrageous act that's coming upon you. If he had told you to do something amazing, wouldn't you have done it? You know the rest of the story. He goes down to the Jordan, dips in what he considered to be this muddy cesspool flowing through this, this backwater nation of crazy people, enemies of Syria. Seven times he comes up, and what happened? He was healed. He came up and his skin was completely fresh. It had been completely restored. The leprosy had been completely removed from his body. That an enemy of Israel was healed. 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, he said, you know, there were a lot of lepers in the time of Elisha, but there was only one that was healed, and that was Naaman the Syrian from outside of our realm. So this situation was pretty significant that even Jesus referenced this stuff. But we're looking here in John chapter 7, 37. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Again, there's nothing profound about it. There's nothing amazing about it. There's nothing that just catches our eye with it. It's very simple. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 37 is, is kind of interesting because... It's simplicity. Verse 38, if we look at verse 38, he says, um, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of water. Every time I read this, I get just messed up. If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Right? Okay, so there's thirst. It's natural. The response is natural. Okay, slurp. Good. But he says that drink that you took in response to your thirst, that drink will become rivers of living water that will flow out from your inmost being. You've heard this before, right? We're, we're a drink, in God's economy, in, in our new covenant, Pastor Jim's been teaching about the new covenant, and it's been awesome, where in this new covenant, this new economy of God, that a drink becomes a river, that's pretty profound, that a drink becomes a river. Ezekiel uh, chapter 47 talks about the river of God that flows out from under the threshold of the temple. And we don't have a lot of time to get into it, but in, in the types and shadows, when the, when the Old Testament talks about the temple, it's referring to that house, the dwelling place of the Lord. It's referring to that place where God himself will rule and reign and take up his residence. Glory to God. <laughs> and it talks about in the Old Testament when God takes up his residence inside that temple, inside that place of his abiding, the river is going to flow out from that temple. It's going to flow out from under the threshold of the temple, the doorway of the temple. And everywhere that that river goes, everywhere that that water touches, that river touches. I think verse 9, it says, everywhere that that fresh water goes, it makes things come alive. Everywhere that that river touches, it makes things come alive. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water that will flow out from underneath the threshold of this new temple. 
of this new temple of the Holy Spirit, this place where Almighty God has chosen to dwell, this place where he takes up residence, that out from this place will flow rivers of living water. And everywhere that river goes, it brings life. This absolutely blows me away that when you and I respond naturally to that thirst that he puts on the inside of us, when we simply respond naturally to it, it turns into the flowing of a life-giving river. But then verse 39 in chapter 7 of John This one is what really gets me. But this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Hadn't received the Spirit yet. So this whole, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He's he's talking about the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of God. Does any of this sound familiar? Remember Isaiah 61? Isaiah 61. Man, I love Isaiah. Such a great book. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Do you remember Jesus referenced this in Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Come on, we're talking about if you're thirsty, you're going to drink. And if you're going to drink... There's going to be rivers of water that are flowing out from inside of you. But by this, he's speaking about the Spirit. So the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us, dwells inside of us. Why? So we can have super-duper worship services. So we can come together and be awed and amazed at all the cool things that, that we can do. The Holy Spirit himself, by the way, um, a spiritual father of mine, Jack Taylor, he says, the great thing about the Holy Spirit, he's the only God on earth. It's true. He's the only God on earth. And that God on earth, Holy Spirit, has chosen to live inside you and I as believers but not to have great little worship services that blow our hair back and, you know, everything goes nuts and insane. Those are awesome, and I love those. Am I the only one? <laughs> it's not this church. You guys love it. But this is why the Holy Spirit, that river, comes on the inside of us. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has smeared me. He has taken his very presence, the very presence and essence of who he is, his nature. And he has smeared you and I on the inside of this this holy temple of the living God. He has smeared us, he says, to bring good news to the afflicted. Why has the Spirit come? Because there is good news from a good God. Good news from a good God. Good news. Not news that's kind of like, 
I mean, you know, <laughs> is that right? It's good news. Good news to who? Because you ever notice how news, whether it's good or it's bad, it depends on who's receiving it as to whether it's good or bad? He says here, the, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because he has anointed me because he has sent me, he says, to bring good news to the afflicted. So there is something that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and I to be able to deliver to the afflicted that to them is good news. And so often I think as the church, we're, we're so busy giving news, we're not so much concerned about if it's good news to the afflicted. Because the ear of the listener is going to be the one that determines the quality of that news. And let me tell you, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross is good news. It's a, I remember when I was afflicted. I remember before I was in Christ. I wasn't born, you know, one of those people that maybe like some of you, and thank God for it, where you're born into a family, a home of, of believers that live and love in the presence of God, and your home is a place that just emanates and revels in his presence and in his glory, and you're sharing, and you're able to make decisions, and you're able to learn and grow in the presence of God. That's awesome. That's what we're endeavoring to do with our daughters. I didn't grow up like that. It's just the way it was. I didn't grow up like that. And I lived in the midst of my sin. I was just drowning in my sin. You know, I absolutely thought I was the one doing the backstroke in it, that I was good. I was good at it. Don't get me wrong. I was, <laughs> I was a good sinner. <laughs> you know, right? I don't say that you know, to be cute, but I, I'm the kind of person that if I'm in something, I'm in it, right? So when I was in sin, I was in it. I was doing it. So that when the good news came to me, one who was afflicted, it was good news. The Holy Spirit came, he said, that he would bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. My God, have you seen what we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit to do? Are you with me? There is a son, there is, God has come and taken up residence for the purpose. And we've just read that purpose to bind up the brokenhearted, give good news to the afflicted, to open up the prison door. All that stuff is awesome. Anybody with me that that's pretty awesome? Okay. But it doesn't end there. If you go to verse 4, he goes in and he says, Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations for many generations. Who are the they? Who are the they that we're going to see desolations 
completely restored, ruins completely transformed from rubble into edifices of awesome glory to God. Who are the they? The ones that when that river goes out from the thirsty ones, when that drink turns into a river and begins to flow out into every which way that it goes, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us so that we can preach good news to the afflicted, to the brokenhearted, to the lost, to the, to the least, the last and the broken, so that they can be the ones to rebuild the ancient ruins. Are you with me here? Do you see this this morning, that what God is doing, all because you decided to take a drink? Something that was simple. God wasn't looking for some big, profound moment. Sometimes I think, and, and I, I'm guilty of this too, we get so keyed up on the profound moment. Are you with me? You know, uh, one of the things I love about Zion is, is there's so many different streams uh, that, that come and share and release and impart uh, to all of us. And it's awesome. And I receive from that. And it's awesome. But what can happen in the mindset is I have to wait for the next big name. I have to wait for the next speaker, the next prophet, the next fill in the blank, so that God can move. Now, I know you don't think like that, of, of course, because you guys, you guys are amazing. But I've thought like that at one time in my life. And God's saying, it's not this big, heavy-duty, amazing thing. Remember, Naaman brought his whole wagon load full of stuff, which, by the way, Elisha, he refused it. He wouldn't take it. I've been healed, you're, wow, you're amazing. Take all the gold, take this awesome, just take it, man of God. No, take it with you, I don't want it. I love that. All because you were thirsty and you took a drink. Is anyone thirsty? Real quick, Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, I'll, I'll go quick. You know the story, Paul and Silas. Right, they're going in uh, to this town. They're in Philippi. And they're, they're walking. They're going to prayer and so on. And, and the, the slave girl keeps coming with them. And she's, she's got a, a devil on the inside of her, the spirit of divination. And she'll follow him. And she goes, hey, everybody, listen to these guys because they have the word of the Lord. The Spirit of God dwells and says, listen to them. And Paul is getting agitated. He's getting irritated. And I thought about that. Why? That's free advertising. You know, that's not bad. I've heard it said there's, there's no such thing as bad advertising. You know, there's no such thing as bad publicity. It's, your name is out there. Paul wasn't concerned about that. Paul wanted Paul knew and understood that when a situation or a realm or a region does not, it's not conducive to the spirit of God that has been sent forth into the earth to open the eyes of the blind, to deliver captives, to restore broken hearts. He recognized that when that exists, God is not happy when the situation is different from that. Are you with me? Yeah. 
So he turns around, this girl, after days, you know, she's coming around. And he casts this thing out of her. Just real simple, just cast the spirit out of her. Well, her masters are now really upset because the spirit that disappeared was the one that made them the money. Because she would speak in divination, people would pay, etc., etc. That's how they made their money. Now they're mad. So they throw the city into an uproar. They're all going crazy. Absolutely just pandemonium inside Philippi. Because they want these two guys thrown in prison. They want them beaten. They want them taken out because they are telling us to do things different from how we've always known how to do them. So what do they do? The Romans take them. The word says they beat them. Actually, the word first says that they strip them. So first there's an indignity. Stripped down naked. Second thing is they then get beaten. And I don't know about you, um, but I, I, I love history, so I've dug into it a little bit. And many of you, I'm sure, have seen the Passion of the Christ, right? And you, you've seen the scene of the flogging and the whipping, and it, it's, it's pretty brutal. It's not a pretty sight, okay? And the Romans didn't have like, well, this is Jesus, so you know what? We're going to give him the extra flogging. But if you're just garden variety, you know, scum who's just going to get beaten, you know, we'll, we'll give you, you know, flogging minus three, you know. So it, it'll be bad, but it won't be like Jesus bad. The point is, is that Roman flogging was pretty severe. So here's Paul and Silas, naked, absolute indignity, beaten. I mean, just shredded up, beaten to within an inch of their life. And then they were cast into the prison. They were fastened into the stocks. They were chained up, shackled up. Why? Because there was a, a river that was flowing in response to a drink. Oh, Brian, that just can't be. That, you know, they, they must have been in error because, you know, I know that the only good things happen. Only good things are supposed to happen when we're in the will of God. <laughs> yeah, no. They're in prison. Now, understand, this isn't like, you know, the correctional facility, right? Three square meals a day, the jumpsuit, right? They can work out in the yard. They can earn a skill. They can maybe get their college diploma, right? All those things are great. But that's not what it was like in this Philippian jail cell, okay, in this dungeon. Dark, fetid dungeon full of putrid just waste that these men had been thrown into, shackled up and chained. And it begs the question, you know, what, what, would, what would the natural response be? The natural response to being thirsty is to drink. The natural response to being shred naked, beaten up, thrown in shackles and thrown in, 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 shack, in, 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 a, in a jail cell, a dungeon, would probably be to complain a little bit, might be to whine, might be to bemoan your station. Woe is me. Jesus, I'm just trying to do what you've called me to do and look where I've ended up. I know that phrase because I've, I've used it before, actually. <laughs> Anybody else? Am I the only one? Okay, it's good to be alone. 
But it's in that place that the natural response can be to complain and to find an excuse. But I want you to understand here that their response was a little different. Their response, I mean, we know the story, right? Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, they're in the prison. Their natural response is they begin to pray. They begin to worship. They begin to just sing songs of joy. In the midst of their situation, their their natural response was to take a drink. Their natural response wasn't bent on what was going on in them. Their natural response was, God, how can we see that that river can even flow in this dead place? Because your river is designed specifically to flow into dead places. So this is a pretty good place for the river to begin to flow, God. So right here, right in this jail cell, right in the midst of all of our busted bruises and our pain and our bloody lip, God, we begin to just give you praise. God, we begin to glorify your name. (laughs) I love it. Some years ago, my wife and I, uh, we took a team of uh, people to the Dominican Republic, and uh, we did a mission trip uh, to the Dominican Republic. And we did lots of stuff there, a lot of open-air preaching, um, a lot of different ministry that, that was going on. But one of the things that we did was we went to uh, a children's hospital in a very, very... Anybody ever been to the Dominican Republic? Probably some of you. Okay, well, there's, there's the resort side, right? It's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. It's just, right? Natalie and Joan, Punta Cana, right? It's, oh, it's awesome. But then there's the not resort side, and that's, that's the real, that's the nation. Um, where we were at in Santo Domingo, there, there were rolling brownouts through the city because they don't have the infrastructure to be able to have the electricity run all over the island all at the same time. So different parts of the city would just go, go brown. They, they would black out because they can't run the power. Well, that's, you know, you and I, we have a snowstorm or a windstorm, and we lose power for a couple hours, and we're like, ah, I can't remember, sir. The indignity of this. This is 2019. How do they not have this figured out? Well, this is what they live with, okay? So these folks are really, really poor, and this children's hospital was in the poor section of town. So you know if the missionaries that you're with are telling you that in this very poor area that there is a poor section of the area, you know it's, it, this, you're going to an area that's pretty rough. Um, the way he told it, he said to us that it's a children's hospital, um, which is kind of a nice little name. It's a euphemism because it's, yeah, it's a hospital, but usually it's where they bring the kids so that they can try to make them as comfortable as possible before they die. And so we knew kind of what, kinda what we were getting into. Um, you know, but we're full of energy. We're full of, ah, Jesus. You know, he's the healer. So we go, and uh, we get to this, this hospital, and um, I have never been to a place. Now, we had been all over different parts of the world at, at that point, but I'd never been to a place that was quite as um, quite as bad as that, poverty-wise, and just the atmosphere inside this hospital. We go in, 
And uh, you could just feel the atmosphere was so heavy. It was so thick with death. And just, it was just so macabre. And and you could hear screams and and shouts of just pain and agony. Um, They took us, we started in the uh, the dialysis area. And um, guys, it was, it was, it was sad. I mean, there's blood all over the floor. There's just, you know, there's like these, um, like you would go to the pool and you pull up that chair that has those strips on it that you just kind of lay on, right? Well, that was the chairs that they had for these kids for their dialysis. And there's, you know, just blood all over and it's crusted and, you know, and there's just bad aroma and, and the equipment is, looks like it was, you know, this is medical equipment probably from, you know, the 1950s, which that's great. It's better than nothing, but technology's sort of escalated a little bit since the 1950s. And uh, we go in there, and, and, and we're just tasked with, oh, my gosh, what are, we, what are we doing? What are we up against? But I'll tell you something. We were thirsty. Oh, my God. The more we looked, we just got more and more thirsty. Each room and each ward we would go into, it just, it created such a thirst on the inside of us for God to do what only God could do. We laid hands on every kid that we could find. Every, every child, every parent, uh, they took my wife and I into the, the, um, the leukemia ward where we had to get the whole, you know, we had to put on the, the, the hats and the masks and the, the gowns and the, the, sh- the shoe cover things because these kids, their immune systems were so depleted that they didn't want any outside bacteria to be brought in that could be fatal to these kids. And we went in there and we just, we prayed and they're weeping and they're crying because they're in pain and it's, it, it smells and the, the whole thing is just, my God. But we were thirsty. They were thirsty. Remember we said, preach good news to the afflicted? When you're afflicted, there's good news that really sounds good. Sometimes we, we, we can get so far into the things of the Spirit and so far into the things of Christ, which is great, and I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper every single day, but sometimes we can get so far that we forget what it was like when we were afflicted. We can forget how good that news really is. So we prayed, and then we left, and we saw how many people got healed? None. Nobody was healed. We left there just like defeated. Anybody ever done that? You go and you pray for people and you're laying hands and you're like, oh, spirit of God, spirit, just go. Healing, hallelujah, oh, fire, fire. <laughs> Fuego, you know, you're just, I mean, you're going at it. And they're just as sick as they were before. The worst part, and this has happened to me, is when you're praying and they get more sick. The first person I ever prayed for to be healed, he died. <laughs> he really did. Oh, God. <laughs> I was so sad about that. Because at the time, you know, right, it was like, hey, watch where you're putting those things. It was like, no, seriously, why? Because if you could die, <laughs> if I pray for you, you might die. But we were thirsty. 
we decided we're going to go back. That was a Wednesday. We were going to go back on a Friday because there were more kids to pray for. And we knew who God is, and we knew the Spirit of God, and we wanted to see him move. So we went and did some other ministry. We came back on Friday. We were met at the gate. They had a, 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 one of those gate things with a, you know, a guard shack with a gate to let people in. We were literally met at the gate. Our van pulled up. And as our van pulled up, there was this boy, a 14-year-old boy with his parents. And they were going around the gate because they were walking out. I said, wait a minute. I, we prayed for that guy. We, I remember praying for him yesterday. So we, we said, hey, what, what's going on? And the mom and the dad, they were just like exploding because they said, the doctors don't know what's going on. I love when the story starts like that. The doctors have no idea what's going on. They can't figure it out. They don't have words for the explanation here, but our son has been completely healed. They're sending him home because there's absolutely nothing they can do. And there's so many kids that need to be in this place that they want to get him out to make room for another child. So we're like, oh, something's happening. Something's happening. Right? So you got a team full of young people that are hungry and thirsty for the Spirit of God. And now you hear that. We go into that place with a vengeance. I'm telling you, we walk into that front door, and remember I told you it was macabre and dark and dank and just sad, and people are crying, and moms and dads, their hearts are broken, and they're, they're like prisoners inside of cells with no hope because their babies are dying. <laughs> we walk in this place on a Friday, kids are running the hallways playing tag. Kids are jumping and screaming and doing somersaults and all this stuff. And we're like, what is going on here? Right? I mean, it's like, wait. We wanted to see God move, but like, I don't have a grid for this. Like somersaults and say, what? We go up and it, 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 was, it was extremely humbling. And I'll say that because... It was an amazing opportunity for us to begin to preach the gospel because here kids all over the, the hospital were miraculously completely healed. And they wanted to know what happened. And we were able to share the gospel. We were able to share the truth to the afflicted. These few thirsty people who took a drink we didn't do anything profound. There wasn't anything majorly significant. There wasn't anything extraordinary. We did the natural thing that you do when there's someone who's sick. You pray for them. Jesus said, if there's any sick, lay hands and pray, and they'll be healed. So we're like, okay, because I'm thirsty. And you said, if anyone will take a drink, out of his belly will throw rivers. Last thing, and we'll close here. Mark, how many of you remember Mark chapter 9? Jesus comes off the boat, and he just got through a um, uh, big storm, right? Demoniac, the whole thing. They get, they get to the other side. Gets off the boat. Jairus comes running up. Now, Jairus, 
He's the head of the synagogue. He's got a 12-year-old daughter. She's at the moment of death. Jesus, all right, that's my mission. I'm going to go. On his way, on his mission to go, all of a sudden, this, this scenario starts to unfold. This woman comes up. And we all know the story. The woman with the issue of blood, right? We've talked about that before a thousand times. But here's something that just absolutely struck me. Nobody had ever been healed the way that, right, spoiler alert, she got healed. But nobody had ever been healed that way before. To that point, everybody who had been healed, the implication is that Jesus had laid hands on him and they got healed, right? Okay, that had never happened to this woman. And as the crowd is pressing in, she says, if I, she, the word says, she says to herself, she said to herself, Church, don't discount the power of the word in your mouth. The power of God's word in your mouth to prophesy the situation, to prophesy the scenario. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I know that I'll be healed. If you look at it, it's not very significant. It's not very profound. There's nothing extraordinary about it. The extraordinary story would be she fought through the crowd, she muscled through, tackled through, she kicked Peter in the jaw and laid hands on Jesus and said, I want my healing, man of God. Right? And then pow, she got healed. Glory. That would be the extraordinary story. But the absolutely ordinary and insignificant details is that she just touched the hem of his garment and she was completely healed. Wow! So the insignificant moment was that she touched his garment. And the significant result was that she got healed. That's pretty significant and that's pretty awesome. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Remember, take a drink. Insignificant. Rivers of water flowing out, bringing life. That's a significant movement. Insignificant moments that produce significant movements. Naaman, the leper, insignificant moment. Man of God just says, hey, go dip in the water. Significant movement, the result of an enemy being healed. Acts chapter 16, insignificant moment, they simply prayed. They simply worshiped in response to what was happening to them. The significant movement... How many of you remember the story? The word says there was an earthquake. There was an earthquake. And, and just as a small insertion here, the significant moment was not the earthquake. How many of you know the word says that the earthquake shook and, and, and struck the foundations of the prison? God is not wanting to deal with just the surface things in your life. God isn't wanting just to deal with the symptoms of the scenario. He is wanting to bring in destruction and the shaking of the foundations of those things that are trying to hold back the move of God. Significant movement was not even that the prison doors were open. The significant movement was that as a result of all of that, the jailer's whole family got saved. There was a movement that came out of that moment that changed forever the complexion of what Philippi was going to look like forever. The woman with the issue of blood, the insignificant moment was that she grabbed the hem of his garment. 
And the significant movement that resulted was not her healing, as awesome as that was. If you turn a few chapters later into chapter 14, the word tells us that Jesus came into another town a little while later. And when they heard that Jesus was in town, the word tells us that they began to clamor and they began to get all of their sick, all of their afflicted, all of those who were bound up, the brokenhearted, etc. They brought them in, listen, so that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as were touched were healed. This little woman's insignificant moment ended up becoming a citywide healing campaign, a movement that transformed an entire city, all because of an insignificant moment. And guys, I just, I, I, I want to ask you this morning as, as we finish, sometimes we get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, the routine, and we're so looking for that punctuated pow, that amazing, just huge, outpouring, extraordinary moment. But what I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying this morning is, for you and I, don't minimize the power of those insignificant moments, the routine day by day that we're so anxious to just blow right past, to ignore, to move in so that we can get to the big thing, the significant thing, the big end, end, end result. Because I think you and I are going to see more and more and more of the flow of that river of life when we can pay attention to those insignificant, unextraordinary moments where you're simply doing what he has created you to do. Be his sons and his daughters. Stand with me, would you please? Why don't you check your body real quick? Anybody got anything you're noticing all of a sudden? Like, hey, wait. Yeah, something's going on. Check your body. Mary, do we have a ministry team? Are they? Okay, ministry team. If you guys would kindly come forward. These guys are awesome. These guys are awesome. Notice what we said, insignificant moments, because there's no such thing as insignificant people. There's no such thing as insignificant people. Everybody you encounter is significant. But these guys are here. They're going to lay hands on you. They're going to pray with you. They're going to prophesy. They're going to, whatever, whatever needs you have this morning, they're here. And I want you to know that there could be very significant movements that result right here. But there could also be what we would maybe consider to be insignificant moments. 
but I welcome either one because he's the God of both and he wants to move this morning. Father, we thank you. God, we bless you. Lord, I thank you this morning for your goodness, for your mercy, for your kindness. Jesus, we just love you today. Father, I call out over your people today, God, over all of us, God. We declare that sharpen our eyes for those insignificant moments, Father, so that we can see you manifest in those significant ways in the lives of the people that you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light. So we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.